Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read from verse 1 through verse 16. And we'll come back to Gospel of Mark starting next Sunday, and we'll go through uh, the last few chapters of the Gospel of Mark as we go through Lent. Um, last few chapters of Mark is about Jesus' last week on earth in, in Jerusalem, so it will be fitting as we think about meditate on the season of Lent. But today, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I will pause there. This is God's word. Um, As we mentioned, we're rolling out this campaign called We Are Better Together, and uh, we really are better together. And so throughout the season, uh, we'll have short testimonies or stories about how it's just good being together and how we need each other. Now, I could, I could be wrong, but whenever we talk about horizontal aspect of our Christian life, the communal aspect of our Christian life, I think some of us, um, maybe unintentionally, dismiss it because we think that our horizontal life with one another is not that important. Right? I mean, we certainly not as important as our relationship with God, the vertical life with God. Uh, All those of us, we know that it's pretty crucial, it's it's important, but we still dismiss it because, man, being with other people, thinking about others, it's hard. We rather just focus on our own life with God or our own own life, period, because it takes time and energy and space and uh, uh, just interest to think about other people. And so we, we kind of, I think, maybe again, unintentionally just, maybe dismiss some of the teachings that Bible has about one another. But I think here's the thing, the passage that we'll look at today, as well as all of the Bible, it, it talks about how our vertical life with God is in, intricately, uh, profoundly connected to our life with one another. You really can't separate those two things. 
And so we'll look at Ephesians 4, and hopefully it will help us to just remember how crucial and important our horizontal communal life is before God. Uh, look at verse 1 with me here. Uh, Paul, this is Paul writing. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so here, um, in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is connecting what he has already wrote in verse chapters 1 through 3. He's connecting chapters 1 through 3 to what he's going to write in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So there's connection. Here's what, and so to summarize, here's what God has done. Here's your calling. And so in light of what God has done, therefore I urge you to walk, or I urge you to make sure that your life is aligned with what God has done for you. So that's Paul's intention. So the question is, what kind of, what kind of calling, what has God accomplished for us? So not to read the whole three chapters, but here are some highlights. Here are some things that Paul's already talked about. He's talked about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we have eternal life with God, that God's selected us. He's forgiven us. No matter what we come to God with, He's forgiven us in, in, in Christ. Uh, we've been adopted into God's family. We no long, longer are orphans, but we're sons and daughters of God. We have eternal hope. But no matter what's happening around us, we can have hope in Christ. We've been reconciled with God and with one another. And I mean, we could go on and on and on. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, again, Paul says, this is all that God has accomplished for you in Christ. Therefore, make sure that your life is in line with what God has done for you. Now, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is going to unpack that, right? He's going to say, he's going to, he's going to talk about our relationship with one another, talk about our marriages, talk about our parenting. He's going to talk about all of that. But here, in verses 2 and 3, he says, this is how we do it. Look with me, verse 2. Verse two. We do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's my first point. We cannot fully live out our calling on our own. Um, let me just repeat that one more time. We cannot fully live out our calling on our own. The call to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling involves others. In other words, verses 2 and 3 cannot be done on your own. Like You can't grow in gentleness by yourself. Can you? I don't know what you would do, but it takes other people. You can't grow in humility or you can't grow in love by yourself. In other words, we cannot live our great high calling from God alone by ourselves. I mean, that's, that's, that's I mean, important because a lot of times we are so focused on our walk with God, we forget that no matter how well we're doing, right? No matter what, no matter how long we pray or how much Bible we know or how much, how much uh, evangelism you're doing, like you cannot fully live out your calling before God on your own because you cannot develop some of these qualities by yourself. It's impossible. 
Uh, I met some of you recently, those of you who are um, relatively new to our church community, and um, I just want to say I appreciate you so much because this is the stories that I hear. You know, we've, we moved here you know, maybe a couple of months ago or, or a few years ago, and we're looking for a church. It was pandemic. It's been hard, and we're checking out different churches. Um, we looked you online, and we're here to check things out. And I think that's, that's commendable because visiting a new church is hard where you don't know anyone. Like, it's hard. And I would say at least 50% of us here sitting here, we've experienced that, right? You, you, you come into church and you don't know anyone. Like, you're, wow, what do I do? It's kind of like walking into a gym uh, for the first time in your life. You look around all these machines and you're like, what the, what in the world is going on here? Like, do I pull this or do I push this or what? It's hard. It, it kind of feels that way. Like, you're, you don't know exactly what to do or so I want to commend you. And so whether you stay here at this like, amazing church or uh, find another church, which is which fine, we need, we need a community. And I think by you visiting and checking things out, it just that's what you're doing. So I think it's commendable because you recognize that your Christian life cannot be lived on your own. Now, let me, let me say, though, that you are called personally. Like when, G, when we read the gospel, right, the gospel of Mark, I mean, Jesus did call Peter. He called Andrew. He called James. He called John. He called Saul on his way to Damascus. So our calling comes to us like personally. It's a personal call. We say yes to Jesus personally, but we are always called into a body. Think about baptism. Baptism, you're baptized. It's a public declaration of what's taking place in your heart. It's a personal decision that you're making. But baptism is also a public event. You're saying, I now, before others, choose to follow Christ. You are baptized into a body. And think about, you know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and the epistles. Um, even... Even the Apostle Paul, when Jesus called him, he was by himself for three years, and then he came out of that season, and he went to the disciples, especially Peter, and he stayed with him to, I don't know, learn, talk, discuss. Again, even someone like Paul did not do ministry on his own. He always had people. So we are called to follow Jesus, and we, when we say, yes, Lord, it's a personal decision, but it's never, you're never called to do life or ministry or live the Christian life on your own. You're called into a body. Again, we cannot fully live out our calling on, your, on our own. Um, and Peter, uh, Paul here gives us reason why. He says, verse 4, there's one body. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So no matter who you are, whether you're, you know, old, young, rich, poor, man, woman, Paul in chapter 2 talks about being a Jew and Gentile. No matter who you are, we're all called into one body. It's not like some of us are called to belong to this body and others of us are here in another body. No. Paul, we are called to one, one body. 
Now, this kind of oneness and, and keeping unity, it's, it's hard. Um, and as, I think that's why here in verse 3, Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're not supposed to create unity. We're not supposed to create oneness. We already have our unity in Christ. We already are one. Our call is to maintain it, eagerly maintain our unity. Uh, many years ago, I, um, I was visiting uh, our college students uh, on the campus of George Washington, and I was getting ready. I was going to share, do like a Bible study with them, and so I'm, I'm there uh, and walking towards this campus, and I run into a a lady who, uh, who attends our Arlington site, and, you know, she's kind of, uh, she's in a hurry. She's kind of walking, uh, almost half running, and I run into her, and I, I ask her, where are you going? I, like, you know, because I wanted to kind of chat and talk with her, and she, in passing kind of, she said, oh, I got to run. I got to make it to my small group. And as, like, her pastor, I was like so, I was so proud. I was so blessed. And she was telling me that she just got off work, and she's just running towards to, I guess, a metro stop nearby to take the metro to get to her small group, and that really blessed me. So in my mind, that's like being eager to maintain our oneness. It, we have our oneness. We have our unity in Christ, but we need to be eagerly uh, maintaining this unity that we have. So again, point number one, we cannot fully live out our calling on our own. Right? Number two, we need each other because of our diverse gifts. Look, verse 7 with me. So he, Paul's been talking about unity in Christ, and then he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Jump down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here Paul just lists some gifts that uh, he's given to the church. Uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. These are gifts, Paul here says, that came from Christ. Um, and in all the places in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how there are many gifts in the body of Christ. Let me read uh, Romans chapter 12, just a few verses here. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members are one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in his generosity. The one who leads with zeal. And one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but Paul's point is everyone in the body has a gift and we need to work together. And so second, again, second point is we need each other because our gifts are diverse. So when you walk into a church, uh, just want to distinguish unity uh, and uniformity. Right? We're united in Christ, but we're not called to be all the same. Uh, if you walk into a church and if everyone looks the same, talks the same, thinks the same, behave the same, um, that's probably not a good sign. You might be in a, in a cult, 
Because that's how cults operate, right? Because they want to control people. And so you have to act, think, behave, talk exactly like others. But the body of Christ doesn't work that way. We are united. We have one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Father, one baptism, one hope. But we are distinct in our gifts. Distinct in our gifts. Uh, my wife and I, uh, what, about a year ago, uh, visited our son in college on Friday evenings. So on Friday evenings, they have, he goes to this fellowship and, you know, they worship together like this. And someone comes up, a staff person comes up and gives a, gives a talk, a sermon. And that Friday, he talked about the body, the body of Christ. And I still remember the, the sort of the example that he used. He, he talked about how a lot of Students, college students, they, they like to work out, especially guys, and they work, they're working out. And, and he looked at some of them, and he basically said, I mean, this, he didn't do it in a, in a mean way, but I think it was funny. He kind of called out guys' names, and he would say, like, John or James over there or Tim. Man, you're, you guys are just working out your upper bodies, but your legs are skinny, dude. You got you to gotta work, work on your legs. Something like, something like that. It was, it was funny, and he was actually pointing out guys who looked funny. Um, they, were like, they were like, you know, big upper body, like skinny legs, and I mean, he was just, you know, he was uh, messing with them. But I think that's what happens when some, a part of our body gets overworked. Like, we're, we focus on, I don't know, like our arms, and, and our arms get big, but our legs are skinny, and do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of times our body becomes unbalanced because there are people who are exercising their gifts and other part that's just dormant. They're not, they're not doing anything. And so we recently did a um, church survey. And the, one, of the, one of the things that we want to learn about our church is like, how, do we, like, how do we look? Like, how are we doing? Are we overusing a part of our body and underusing another part of our body? Do we look okay? And here's the thing. When you're inside the church, it's awfully hard to assess, like, ourselves, right? Because we've been here so long. You do the same thing, you know, week in and week out. And so we need other people's perspective to tell us, you're doing great in this, but you're lacking in this. And that's why we're going through this assessment. I think we're getting the results this weekend, coming weekend, and we will communicate that to you in an orderly fashion in, in, some, in some way. But that's what we want to do. We want to see how, how are we doing? Are we, are we just a church that's like skinny legs because we don't have people here or not cultivating people uh, who have particular gifts? Let me just say this to all of you here this morning. All of you are gifted. Because sometimes we think, oh, you know, I don't know what I could do. Like, I, I don't know, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. What the Bible says, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has given you gifts. Now, the way that we, I think, find out what our gifts are, I mean, you could do it on your own, right? You could say, okay, what, what am I good at? What are my interests, passions? I think those things are good. But I think another way that we could do this is when you get to know someone, maybe it's in a small group context, or maybe you, you know, you're getting to befriend someone, and you just kind of recognize, wow, this person has this gift. Feel free to bless your, your brother or your sister and just let them know because I think we're too, um, like too slow in affirming other people's gifts. We're too shy. Like It would be great for us to hear from 
a, a, a friend or a small group leader, an elder, a pastor, to, and, and hear, you know what? I've seen you serve in this capacity, and you're gifted with blank. You're gifted with teaching, or you're, you, I see a gift of leadership in you, or I, I think we, we could do that more because all of us are gifted. God has given us gifts, and we need all of us to serve and participate if we are going to attain. My number, point number three is spiritual maturity. Number three is we need each other to attain maturity. And the last part of what Paul writes here is about that. Uh, well, let me just go ahead and read it because I think it's, uh, it's helpful. Verse 11 uh, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the Spirit and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, we need each other to attain maturity. Friends, how often do we think, think about our Christian life and say, oh man, I need to read my Bible more. Oh gosh, I need to, I need to pray more. Now these things are good things that you want to do these things, right? You, want, yeah, but you do want to read our Bible or pray more. Um, but our spiritual maturity, the way we grow doesn't stop there. Actually, we cannot fully attain spiritual maturity on our own. No matter how much Bible you read or no matter how much you pray or no matter what kind of mission trips you go on to, on your own, you're not going to attain the fullness of Christ because you by yourself, you don't have the capacity to experience all that God has for you, for you collectively. That's why we need one another. We need to do our part so that together we can attain the unity, not only unity, but the fullness of Christ. Now, I, I try to think of, you know, uh, have a picture in my mind, but it's, it's um, you know, Christ is our head. Right? We are the body. And as we grow, we're not just growing for our own benefit. Right? We're, we're growing we're growing in Christ so that we can help the whole body grow. I have a friend who um, recently told me he lost a lot of weight. And uh, he's, you know, he's eating better, healthy, exercising. And he told me that, um, I mean, I, I recently saw him and he did, I want to say, like lost probably about 40 pounds. Um, and, uh, you know, he said, uh, I used to have just, I mean, he used to have pretty bad um, foot issues. Like he would like be in pain, I feel like every other month, you know, but he, he said, you know, recently, God, you know, that pain, it's, it's gone away. Um, I have a lot more energy. Um, and he talked about like all the benefits that he's been like feeling because he, he lost some weight. Right? And, and I think that's the point is when we, when one part of our body does well, it affects the whole body, right? And so when we are striving for Christ, it's not just for our own sake, 
We want to grow in Christ so that we can benefit the whole body. That we all together attain spiritual maturity. What does that look like? And Paul here tells us. He gives us a, a, a negative example and a positive example. A negative example is verse 14. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The picture is a small boat without an anchor. Whenever waves hit, it just goes back and forth. Paul here says, no, we want to attain maturity so that we are steadfast, that we, we are able to stand firm with God's truth, um, anchoring our feet. Like we're not chasing back and forth from one, well, I don't know, one exciting thing to another, but no, we are anchored in God's truth. There's steadfastness. And then positively, he says in verse 15, we speak the truth in love. And here, I think Paul's talking about the, the truth, the truth, meaning the truth of God, right? We are tr- speaking God's truth to one another in love. That's how maturity looks like. And friends, we cannot attain that on our own. No matter how, again, no matter what you do, you will have a limit. You'll hit a ceiling. You're not going to attain the fullness of Christ on your own. Let me close by just uh, saying this. We uh, dedicated four uh, kids today. Um, let me get there. I don't, probably can't remember the meaning of their names that we had. Julian, Brooks, Nora, Eliza, right? Yes. Uh, and my, my, my hunch, because I sort of went through that season, is parents uh, will, as their kids get older, they will celebrate with their kids. Um, you know, first, I don't know, first baseball game. Like, it doesn't matter if they strike out. Wow, good job, you know. Uh, first, I don't know, math competition. Good job. Like, they will celebrate with their kids. And at the same time, they will cry with their kids as they see their kids failing at something or experience some kind of pain. It's, it's pain. I mean, the parents will feel their pain. The parenting is we go up and down with our kids. Why is that? It's because... They are our most precious possession. Like our hearts are attached to them. They represent, represent us in, in some ways. In the same way, Jesus looks at the church and he says, you are my, my most precious possession. I gave my life for you. In our culture, the church, the universal church, or any local church, um, I think uh, just the general perception is not that positive. But I want to remind us today, church of Jesus Christ, you are the most precious thing in this whole universe. God gave up his son to purchase you. And you represent Christ. We are his body. He's our head. So in uh, verse 13, Paul talks about how the whole earth will be filled with Christ. How does he do that? He does that through his church. As we represent him, we fill the universe, fill the earth with Christ's glory. That's our call, and that we cannot do alone. We need one another. So friends, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope that was convincing. We are called to 
journey our Christian life together. Whether that's just church, this church or some other church, you need a local body where you say, this is my home, this is my church, and I'm going to grow with these people. You are precious before God. Um, I, think, I think today I thought I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and, and we usually uh, spend some time just kind of reflecting and, and praying on our own. Let's, let's, today, maybe we could pray for one another and pray for others. And so if you would... Um, yeah, just close your eyes and as we think about the body of Christ and just recognize, recognizing that, wow, we're called to be with others. Um, and that's just how God had set things up. And oftentimes it goes against our natural tendencies because, I mean, we, it's easier to be on our own. But we are called to grow in our humility and gentleness. We're called to bear one another in love. And so I want to give us a minute to just pray for someone. And it could be someone in this church, or it could be someone that you know, someone that you, you just know that they're struggling. You know, they've been, uh, maybe they've been sort of drifting away during the pandemic, maybe. Uh, or maybe it's um, yeah, maybe someone uh, that you know that who do not know God. Uh, let's spend a moment and just praying for, um, yeah, our, our friends, people around us, that uh, they need to be plugged into the body. Um, so I want to give us a minute to do that, and, and I'll, I'll say a prayer, and then we'll take communion together. But let's, let's do that. Amen.